It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. God bless you. I'm so glad to uh, be able to just come before the Lord in worship uh, together today. Um, those things that we sometimes take for granted, right? We kind of think, well, I'm just going to church. Nope, we're going to have church, right? As the church gathers together, the presence of the Lord is here. And uh, what a special time that always is. So we've been going through the book of Ephesians these last number of weeks, and last week we looked at um, what I called the playing field of unity, right? The grounds for unity, the content or the, the substance uh, that make up that common ground of faith that we believe in in Christ. And obviously, as we, and even as Kenny shared, um, reading from the psalmist, that, that unity that flows down um, from above, right, is so important and such a necessary ingredient in the body of Christ. And, and yet, we need to ensure that our unity is ne- our, our unity um, needs to gather around the essentials of true of God's word, and not just um, um, just the things that we think are important, right? But so Paul kind of lays out in in, in in Ephesians chapter four uh, this the grounds for unity highlights seven things that as the body of Christ. Um, are important for us to, to gather around this common faith, this understanding, this, this, um, uh, this, this playing field of unity. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Look at that with me. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. He said, There is one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so it's important to note that Paul is writing this out because amongst the people uh, to whom he was writing, there was differing opinions on, on who Jesus is and, and whether he was deity or, or um, a whole host of different theologies that existed within the churches that he wrote to, as well as here we are, uh, you know, 2,000 years later, and there's a whole bunch of different opinions out there as well. And what Paul is saying is if we want there to be true unity, true unity must gather around some key um, truths. Those, and he, he gives us seven of them, right? That there's, that there's one body, right? That there's the, the body of Christ. Or we are a local expression of the, the broader body of Christ that has existed all throughout the world over the centuries. That we are a part of the body of Christ. That there's one spirit, namely the Holy Spirit, right? That there's, there's one hope that belongs to our call, that, that, that longing, that hope that awaits the child of God for when um, that moment where we cross out of time and into eternity and, and we're experiencing everything as it was intended to be. It's the hope of our calling. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all. And so he lays out the, these necessary um, subjects that must be present for us to agree upon. And now having established some of these necessary grounds for what we unify around, 
Paul presents to us the means by which we move into maturity. Now that we know what we agree on, now how do we as the church begin to grow spiritually? How do we move towards spiritual health? How do we, how do we mature as the body of Christ? It's about spiritual health, spiritual growth. We live in a world that is saturated with all different kinds of of methods and strategies and programs and plans to ensure good physical health, don't we? You don't lack any kind of marketing strategy that's trying to get you to sign up for something. If you'll just do this, you'll look like that, right? And it's just one of those, it's one of those really um, aggressive tactics that are out there today. And, but the reality is everyone's concerned about looking good. Everyone's concerned about feeling good and, and being healthy. And that's important for us as believers, by the way, right? It's important for us to be healthy. We need to be good stewards of our physical bodies. God's given us one body, right? And we need, we need to care of that thing, right? And we need to be, because if we're not healthy, we're not gonna be really helpful to anybody else. And so we need to be, in, we need to ensure that we have some, that we have good health and take care of and be good stewards of our body. Well, what's true for our physical health is certainly true also for our spiritual health. There are ways in which God enables, empowers the church to be healthy. There is a plan, there is a process, there is a, a method, a means by which God has arranged for spiritual growth to take place amongst his people. And I'm in, gonna encourage you by letting you know that there's no subscriptions that are necessary. There's no monthly plans, right? There, there's no pyramid schemes that you need to partake of so that you can be a spiritually healthy believer. That's the subject of our conversation this morning. What does spiritual health look like and how has God enabled the body to, the body to grow maturely? The spiritual body, namely the body of Christ. And it's there that we, we see Paul kind of, again, he, says, he highlights, here's the, what we need to agree on. Now that we've established what we believe, how do we put that in motion so that we can grow mature in Christ. It's there we pick up in verse seven. He says in verse seven of chapter four, By grace, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're gonna take a look at the whole passage and we'll circle back and accomplish hopefully what we can by the end of the day. Three hours, you'll be out of here no time. My, my thing stopped working, so we'll be here maybe four hours now. He says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, speaking of Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse nine, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. 
He gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the longest sentence ever. Paul was always into the whole run-on sentence. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about in every wind of doctrine, comma, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, period, but rather speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's so much that Paul will address here in this, in this text, and we're going we're gonna to start it this morning and, 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 and probably wrap that part up um, next week. Um, but interestingly, he says something very important for us to kind of focus on in verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The Greek word that's there for grace is the word charis, which means gifts, and specifically it's referring to spiritual gifts. And so gifts have been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. These spiritual gifts that are given to his people. Now everyone who is born is born with natural abilities at birth. Right? Everybody's, got, everybody's good at something, right? Everybody has some kind of a natural, maybe you're athletic, right? Maybe you're, you're just a natural athlete. Maybe you're naturally a musician. I am not that person at all, right? So, but some people just can hear things and put them in motion and, and just make it harmonize and it's a beautiful thing. Maybe, maybe your natural gift is, maybe you're just smarter than the average bear. Maybe you see things differently. You're, maybe you have the ability, whatever it may be. Everybody's got these, these natural abilities. That's not what this is referring to here when we talk about this grace, these gifts that have been given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is what's given to, this, what this is, is, is this is what's given to each person, not upon their natural birth, but upon their spiritual birth. Upon their spiritual birth, there are spiritual gifts that are given to the believer, and every single Christian has been given some kind of spiritual gift. Nobody has all of the gifts, as we will see Paul talk about in, when he, when, in Romans, but, but every person is given some form of a spiritual gift, and it is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is that? It means that Jesus decides what your gift is and how many gifts he's going to give to you. Some people have a lot of spiritual gifts. Somebody, have, somebody else might have just a few different gifts. It doesn't mean one person is any more important than the other. Each one is giving according to Christ's choosing, the measure of his will. 
And so the challenge for you and I today is to discover what is my spiritual gift. If you're here this morning and you've embraced Christ and you're born again, you've been made alive, right? Then you have been given a spiritual gift. And our challenge, our journey is to discover what our spiritual gift is and then how do we move out in using that spiritual gift? How do we use that spiritual gift that God has given to us? Well, first off, how do we determine what our spiritual gift is? Determining Determine that thing in your life. Identify that thing in your life that you're most passionate about. What is that thing that you're most passionate about? A lot of times I'll, I'll have that conversation with somebody and they'll say, ah, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. And I'll say, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. What are the things that you love to do? What are the things that you're looking like? Like, I get to do this? Like, this, these are the things I'm looking for. I'm looking, looking for opportunities, right? What is that thing that you're good at? Right? And, and, and more than that, though, it's not only something that's enjoyable to you, it's something that when you're doing it, it's pleasing to God. It's almost like a, it's an act of worship. I never, I never feel closer to God than when I'm preaching and teaching. It's just, it's, 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 a, it's God's gift that, that he's given to me. When I'm able to use that gift, I feel like Eric Little, remember Chariots of Fire? He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I don't feel any pleasure at all, right? And so that's maybe his thing. But, but when I preach, I can feel his pleasure, right? What is that thing in your life, that gift in your life that, is, that brings, that you feel brings pleasure to God, but also what is that thing that other people look and say, I'm blessed because you, you use that gift. Because all of our spiritual gifts are given to us, not for us, but for other people. I'll use myself as an example. God's given me a gift of teaching, right? And I'm certainly not the best teacher in the world, but God's given me a, te- a gift to teach. And so it, it doesn't do me any good if I don't have people to use that gift on, right? So God gives me a gift to teach, and hopefully by me using my gift, then you're able to learn from, from my gift, right? And so that doesn't mean that I don't have to work on it and grow in that and, and do everything I can to kind of hone that gift, but, but I, I recognize that my gift isn't for me. And so how do I know it's a gift? Well, people will say, hey, I learned today. Good, then mission accomplished. The fruit of our gift ought to, ought to bring the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. And so what is that spiritual gift? What is that thing that God has placed into your life that you look and say, well, I love to do this. God, I feel like it's like an act of worship to you. And it's something I do well and people are blessed by it. You see, when, when you're using your spiritual gift, people walk away encouraged not just by you, but by Jesus. They feel like they had a time of fellowship with you, right? They feel like they've just been encouraged in their walk with Christ as a result of you using your spiritual gift. And so what we see here is that every single person has been given a a spiritual gift by Christ to be used within the body. What do you do well? And are you using it? Because here's the thing, if you're not using it for the body you may end up using it against the body. See, sometimes when spiritual gifts aren't used, they begin to stagnate. And what, was, what, what could have been a potential for edification can result in the potential of destruction. People who might have the gift of exhortation and that don't use it become very critical of other people. People who have the gifts of discernment that don't use them according to the spirit become very critical because they understand everybody's motives, right? 
And so what could be a good thing is used for a bad thing, but that wasn't what God's intention for us. And so we need to recognize that God's given us gifts so that we can build up the body, so we can encourage the body, so we can grow from one another. Spiritual gifts are given by Christ at our spiritual birth, and they are to build up the body of Christ. And that's very important for us to understand because Paul is about to discuss the means by which these gifts are employed among us. How are these gifts that Christ has given to us that we read about, how are these gifts to be used within the church? But before he does that, he he connects what he just said about Christ giving us spiritual gifts with this oftentimes discussed discussed passage in verse eight. He says this, therefore it says, whenever he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse nine, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Where did Jesus go? Right? I mean, that's, that, that's oftentimes a topic of conversation. See, oftentimes people conclude in reading that, that Jesus went into hell. Other people suggest that maybe what this is referring to is that Christ descended into the grave. And this is why it's so important. It's why I always highlight the importance of reading the scripture in the context in which it's given. Because if we take passages of scripture out of its context, it begins to create a life all of its own. And we don't need to remove this passage of scripture out of context to understand what's going on. How many have ever heard, and I don't know if you have to say you believe it or not, how many have ever heard that Jesus went to hell? Right? I know I heard that. Everybody's like, well, here's the passage. I don't think that's exactly what it's saying here. In keeping with the text, what Paul is saying here is it appears that he's referring to Christ coming down to the earth from heaven. He who was high above the earth, he descended into the lower regions, the earth. I think that the ESV does a really great job of interpreting this passage of, of scripture for us. It says he descended into the lower regions, comma, the earth. Now, people will look at that and they'll think, oh, see, he descended into the lower regions of the earth. That's not what it says. It says that he descended into the lower regions, the earth. You see, Christ, who was up in heaven, descended to the earth to be a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the gift. He is our Messiah. He is our solution. He is our sin bearer, right? He is our rescuer. He is our gift. He who was high above the earth, he descended into the lower regions, the earth. Christ was up in heaven. He descended to the earth to be a gift and then to give gifts to men which is where the passage is going next. You see, context is really, really, really important. So who's this host of captives that he led? Right, that's that's what he says there. He says, um, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Who are that? Who's the host of captives that he led? Well, here's my opinion. You know what my opinion means? Not much, but I'll give you my opinion anyway. 
My opinion is that he's referring to those who were in Abraham's bosom, those who were in paradise waiting for Christ to come and present himself to the Father. Prior to Christ, um, there was a, we, we read about that in uh, Luke chapter 16, I think it is, where he talks about um, um, the, the, uh, uh, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, the, the, the waiting for the Messiah. Uh, Jesus, speaking to the thief on the cross, said, this day you will be with me in paradise. There was a period of time, there's a location that prior to being in the presence of God, that, that, that God's people would go to waiting for the, 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 the son to come and present himself. And I believe that what happened at that moment was when Christ presented himself before the father as our only sacrifice, he opened the gates of heaven. He cleared out paradise and all the captives were left captive into the presence of God forever. Different sermon for a different day, but I just didn't want to gloss over that. So, um, breathe. Okay, good. So Christ came down and then Christ ascended and then he gave gifts to men. What are those gifts? We see them in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now here's where Paul begins now to break down the means of maturity, right? He's, he's highlighting what we gather around. He's highlighting who we are. And now he talks about here's how we are going to grow together. Here's how we are going to mature together. Now, let me be abundantly clear here this morning because I don't want to make it look, I don't want to take away in any way in my communication away from the work of the Holy Spirit as the primary, the source of our spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit is the, direct, is the direct cause for our spiritual growth. Our spiritual, our spiritual growth, our spiritual maturity is the direct result of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That's what we call sanctification, right? The, the working of the Holy Spirit, making us more and more like Christ. In fact, I pointed out last week in Jesus, in John chapter 14, when Jesus was talking about leaving his disciples and they start freaking out, Jesus is like, no, don't be discouraged. It's good that I go away for if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit, the helper won't come, right? But he will come. He'll be with you and he'll be in you and he will lead you and guide you into all truth, right? And so we see that Jesus talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit that was going to come upon the church after Jesus left the earth, right? So we see that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit who's going to come and he is the one who leads us and guides us and brings us into all truth. And so all of our spiritual growth is the result of the Holy Spirit working in our life. Does everybody agree with that? Now follow with me. It's the Holy Spirit who's the one that causes us to grow. The church is the church because the Holy Spirit resides within us. So while we grow directly from the Holy Spirit, the means, the tools that the Holy Spirit will use, the resources that the Holy Spirit uses is one another as we have the Holy Spirit of God within us as we are walking in the Spirit, as we are being led by the Spirit, as we are utilizing our spiritual, our spiritual gifts, as we are manifesting spiritual fruit, the Holy Spirit working through me is what encourages you. The Holy Spirit working through you is what teaches 
teaches me. It's the source is the Holy Spirit, but the means is the church, the body of Christ. Now, it's not to minimize the importance of, of personal prayer. Right? Everybody person needs to have that, that intimate relationship with, with Christ, that, that time alone in the word. I certainly don't mean to minimize that at all. But God has designed the church in such a way that we must grow together. We are the body of Christ. There is a union that exists between us that Christ set it up that way so that when we are together in utilizing that which Christ has done in our life, that which the Holy Spirit is doing in our life, it allows us to grow and mature in our faith. God designed the church in such a way that we are to be growing and living together. It's like a husband and wife who who lives separate lives. Imagine a husband and wife, they live separate, separate lives. They, they don't serve each other, right? They don't talk together. They, 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 they don't eat together. They don't do anything. Well, it's not going to be a very healthy marriage, right? But to the degree that they love on one another, to the degree that they serve one another, to the degree that they share from their own resources, right? To the degree that they, they give themselves to one another is the degree that that marriage is going to be healthy. But what's true for a marriage is true for the church. To the degree that we will grow together, learn together, share with one another, give of ourselves to one another, allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in us and through us, then we begin growing the way God designed for us to grow. You say, yeah, but church people are difficult. I have a theory about that. Church people are difficult. I'm one of them, so I can say that. But here's the thing. People are difficult. It's not just church people. Here's the difference. Out there, when you have to face difficult people, you don't call them anymore, right? You don't have to see them anymore. When you find somebody who's a difficult person, it's like, gone, I don't have to see them anymore. So there might be difficult for a moment, but you move on. We all tend to surround ourselves with people that we like outside the church, don't we? Of course we do. Nobody goes out of their way to hang out with people who rub them the wrong way. Nobody goes out of their way to go hang out with people who, who are like sandpaper in their lives and they just seem to always challenge them. And just Nobody goes out of their way. But when you come to church and you can't pick and choose who you're going to be around, you think all these people are weird. And they're thinking the same thing about you. Right? So it's not, that the, it's not that the church or weird people. They're just people. We're trying to be more like Christ. You say, but yeah, church people, they, man, they, they can be so hurtful. Yes, people can be really hurtful. I've discovered that people who are hurt, whether they intend to or not, they tend to hurt other people, don't they? And you see that? The church is also a hospital for the sick. And so we can, be, we, can, we can just write off those people who are hurtful and say, oh, and forget you. I'm going to do with you with what I did everybody else outside the church and just write them off. Or 
I can identify what that hurt is bringing up in me and I can allow the Holy Spirit to grow me in the midst of it. In fact, if I remove every inconvenience, every hurtful person, every disturbing person out of my life, who in the world is going to bring that stuff out in me? You say, well, the Holy Spirit will. How? By annoying people. (laughs) Right? You see, that's the incubator that we're in. It's the church. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work, but he's doing it with people. That's why the scripture talks about the importance of the body of Christ being together. Can I just speak for every pastor that I know of? There's nothing more upsetting to a pastor than when he's, and I'm not talking about pastors just here, I'm talking about every pastor I know. When we see the transience in the church. People who, you know, they've been with you for a couple of years. Everything is great. And then you make one decision. You say one, one comment or they run into somebody that, they, that, that rubs them the wrong way and then they're gone. And it's like, and, they, and then they go, oh, that church, they are, they are so messed up. They are this, they are that. And they, they create this whole narrative to justify the fact why they have to leave. And then they go to another church. And then nobody knows them, and they don't know anybody else there. So they're like, why not? This church is great. This church is nothing like my old church. My old church was like this. But this church, man, they get it, right? They understand. They're leaders. They're godly. They're this. They're that. And then they walk with them for a couple more years, and they realize, wait a minute. They're just like the other church. They're both a bunch of sellouts. There's a problem with both of those churches, and then they move on to another church. And you see, what ends up happening is that person never grows. You see, people have come into integrity, I'll be straight up honest with you, and they've left other churches. Maybe I'm speaking to you, I don't know. You left because you know what the pastor acted a certain way, did a certain way, smelled a certain way, wore a certain thing. I don't know what the story was, but you came and you looked at the church and you thought, my church is a mess. I'm going to integrity. Wow, they're great. Their worship is awesome. Their speakers are great. They, this is it. they got their act together and then you got to know us. <laughs> and you discovered that we're just as messed up as the church you just left. It is comical. And it's so sad. Could you imagine? We don't even have to imagine. People do that in marriage all the time these days, don't they? You heard the old seven-year itch? You're not who I thought you were. And out the door. I have a hard time trusting people who don't have long-term relationships. I really, I just, just a pet peeve of mine. See, when you have a long-term relationship, you recognize that, that, that you are in, in friendship, in relationship with someone who is as imperfect as you. And that what that says to me is that you recognize that if we want to have something that's real, we got to push through the hard times. we got to talk through the difficulties. We need to have the hard conversations. We shouldn't be afraid to have the hard conversations. But instead of grow, people go. And then they go, and they go, and they go, and they go. And what ends up happening is you see them 12 years later, and they're exactly the way they were when they left you. Christ has put the church together. 
imperfect people with the Holy Spirit of God in us so that we would grow from one another. And that's why the scripture says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The end of time. Perhaps this day. I like the word neglecting that's there. If you use the New King James, other versions use the word forsaking, not forsaking yourselves. I like neglecting over forsaking because it's not about, it's not about departing from the faith. It's more subtle than that. It's about not prioritizing the faith. It's about making church attendance, church engagement an option every Sunday. When we fail to, when we, when we under, we, we, we need, my, my, my son was encouraging me, he said, we need to do a good ecclesiology, ecclesiology class, the study of the church. We need to get a better understanding of what the church is. Because I think when we understand the sacredness of the body of Christ, I get it, there's times you just can't be here, I get that. But we understand when the body comes together, something sacred. Is happening. And what the writer Hebrews says is don't minimize that. Don't, don't neglect that. Prioritize the house of God. Usually, the first thing that happens before a person walks away from Christ is they walk away from Christ's Christ body, the church. Looking at our text, Paul presents the gifts that God has given to the body. He ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. And then he defines those gifts. And, and these are just some of the spiritual gifts. If you, as we read through Corinthians and we read through Romans and we de- read through other epistles, we'll, we'll be able to identify other spiritual gifts apart from these that are clearly given to the church for the edification of the body of Christ. But specifically, what Paul is dealing with are the role gifts, these, these roles. Namely, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I've met a lot of ministers that believe that they're God's gift to the church. Um, that's not what the scripture is saying here. Um, very important, write this down. The gift is not the person. The gift is the role that the person carries. The gift is not the person. The gift is the role that the person carries. The person who carries the role isn't any more important than anybody else in the body of Christ. No more special, no more love, no more valued in the eyes of men or the eyes of God. God places these roles into imperfect people. This passage is about how the Holy Spirit of God identifies and places gifts, roles within the body to equip the body of Christ, not over people, but among them. Among them. Namely, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. 
Good way to remember those things, those different roles as we consider, we have the, the apostle is our thumb, the apostle is the one who influences each of the other roles, the, 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 the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher. He's our thumb. The prophet is our pointer finger. He's the one that points the way. This is the direction we need to go. This is, you know, he, it kind of challenges us and inspires us and he is the prophet. The middle finger is not the person you don't like. Middle finger is your evangelist. He is the one that moves out from the church. He kind of extends further out than everybody else. Good way to remember that. The third one is the ring finger. That's the pastor. He's the one who marries and buries and, and gets involved as a shepherd in the lives of the people. And then the pinky is the teacher. And he's the one that, that kind of gets into the nooks and crannies and helps people to um, learn things that might not be so obvious in the scripture. Each of these roles equally important, equally given for the purpose of equipping the body. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We see three reasons why God placed these roles into the church. Number one, he places these roles, these five roles, into the church to equip the saints. To equip the saints. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit working through their spiritual gift that results in the church being equipped. They are the coaches, if you will. They're the, the, the leaders, the coaches within the body of Christ that come alongside the body of Christ to understand and apply the word of God so that the body of Christ might be more effective disciples in the world in which we're called to reach. Again, not better, it's a role thing, right? So they're, they're the coaches, they're the leaders, and they exist to equip the church. Equip them for what? Number two, for the works of the ministry. They exist to equip the church or the saints, for the work of the ministry. So what are we equipping the church to do? We're equipping the church to be disciples, to carry on the work of Jesus to the, to the world around us, as well as to one another. Obviously, we're called to go into all the world and make disciples, but we also see here that the purpose of these roles is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry so that we are able to encourage one another and be a healthy, strong, vibrant community of faith so that we can make maximum impact for the glory of God, the work of the ministry. And this equipping and employing of the work of the ministry results in what? The building up of the body of Christ, the edification, the strengthening, the maturity of the body of Christ. You see, it's all about it's all about building up the body of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who's doing the work, but he's doing the work through his people. Nowhere do we see room for individuality in the church. Nowhere do we see room for this rock star mentality within the church. Nowhere do we see this lone ranger mentality, us four and no more, we don't need anybody else. Yes, you do. And that's why the scripture likens us to a body. Because an arm detached from the body is a lost limb, right? And it's going to bring tremendous dishealth to the rest of the body. 
So how long does this go on for? Well, we see in verse 13, when does this stop? It doesn't stop until verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love that. I like what he says here. He says, until we all attain. I love how this is written in the first person. He doesn't say these will exist until you get your act together. Until church, you finally understand what us gifts to the church are teaching you. That's not what he says. He says, until we all attain. In other words, Paul is recognizing that the same leaders that are given to the church are on the same journey of growth as everybody else. You are learning from me as much as I am learning from you. Leadership is not synonymous with arrival. We need each other. So we might move on to the unity of the faith. When each one is operating in their gifts, operating in what God has done in their life, it creates that unity. Gathered around the essentials that we talked about last week, it moves on to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of of the Son of God. It's about knowing Jesus. I mean, that's what it really gets down to the bottom line. It's all about knowing our Savior, the lover of our souls. To move on to mature manhood, he says. To the measure, he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The picture that Paul is painting here is that this Mature manhood, this, this stature, this fullness of Christ is not something that's going to be realized until Christ comes. And then we shall see him as he is. And we will know him even as we are known by him. Wow. That's yet to come. And until that happens, the church is to be in community with one another. Why does Satan try so hard for centuries to divide the church? Because this is the place where the Spirit of God works through his people to equip his people to reach the world. It's the Holy Spirit that does it, but he does it through flawed people. You see the means of mature. It's actually it's a very beautiful thing. Redeemed people placed into a community, each having unique individual gifts that they share with that community. So that community begins to grow more and more into the image of our leader. And while the body is using their gifts, we see these role gifts, the apostle and prophet and pastor, shepherd, teacher, coming alongside the body of Christ to help them navigate. Here's, here's, here's what the word says about your marriage. Here's, here's how you can work through this issue at work. Here's how you can influence your children, right? Here's what the word of God says. And that's done so that we might grow and move on to maturity and as the, as, the, as, the, as, the, as the 
those role gifts are doing it, they're growing as well. Why? Because none of us are perfect. Different roles, same importance, right? It's a beautiful thing if you think about it. It's like the incubator of the church. What's really cool is Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How does he do that? He puts a whole bunch of us crazies in a room and he fills us with the Holy Spirit and he allows us to influence one another and teach one another and learn from one another and serve one another, not run from one another, not hate one another, not believe the worst about one another, but give of ourselves to one another. And to the degree that we will do that is the degree that we will grow ourselves and we will grow maturity-wise as the body of Christ. And the greatest of that, the fullness of that is, is yet to come. That's what, that's what Jude will, will point us to in his, his doxology. Verse 24 in Jude's letter, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever, forevermore. Amen. I love that. To him who is able to not only keep you, but look, he will not only present you, but he will present you faultless, and he'll do it with great joy. He will be proud of who the bride of Christ is. Now, I don't know how in the world he's going to do that. But I'm willing to surrender my rights and my attitudes and my hurts to say, Lord, just, just do it right here first. And if we'll do that, the Holy Spirit of God will operate in us and through us to one another. And what ends up happening is we'd be a people who will be those who are no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves. You ever feel like that? Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, when the body is operating the way God designed it to be, people are able to address those things. We'll talk a little bit next week about the importance of speaking the truth in love. People don't like to have, the, let me just kind of forecast a little bit. People don't like to have the truth spoken because what ends up happening is that might mean they need to change some things that they're doing. And instead of grow, they go. But what ends up happening is they remain like children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Next week, we're going to take a look at how the Holy Spirit using one another can bring us to greater maturity as individuals, as a local expression of the body of Christ, and as the church of Christ all throughout the world. Father, thank you for your word. 
Lord, we, we recognize how dependent we are upon you to do in us and through us what we can never accomplish ourselves. Lord, many have, are here this morning that have been hurt and betrayed by wounded by other people. And sometimes the idea of engaging is the last thing that they want to do. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just do a work in us. Help us to trust you with one another. And Lord, would you just use us in the lives of each other to grow and mature and to make you proud so that it would result in the unity of the faith that will impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.